0: Hello, you're listening to In On The Act with Sarah Jackman. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Jordan Casey, Barrister of Falcon Chambers, to discuss the residential reform space and in particular, the Leasehold and Freehold Reform Bill. Stephen, many thanks indeed for joining me today. As I've just mentioned, we have a new bill currently before Parliament and alongside that, a firm commitment from the current government to deliver residential reform. Before we look at the bill in a little bit more detail, perhaps you could explain just a little bit about the background context, just to set the scene and give our listeners a flavour of what's driving the need for reform in this area.
1: Of course, what really started the ball rolling was the practice of some large residential developers of building houses, instead of selling them freehold, selling them on long leases, reserving a ground rent, which doubled every 10 years and which would therefore rapidly become a very substantial financial commitment. Uh, And that perfectly understandably was widely regarded as unacceptable. And that led to an outcry about leasehold generally. There have been campaigning groups campaigning about leasehold for a long time, but they weren't getting much attention from the government. But what really changed things was these leases of houses with doubling ground rents. And in um, 2017, the government said it was going to ban future sales of leasehold houses when the the new bill was introduced into parliament in november of 2023 the government said it did provide for a ban on the sale of leasehold houses but it doesn't that's nowhere to be found in the bill it's one of a number of gaps in the in the bill which seems to have been published in something of a hurry and the government has said it will amend the bill in committee to introduce a ban on leasehold houses and in subsequent white papers and government announcements the government has said it's concerned about Leasehold concerned that leaseholders were having to pay too much to buy the freehold or extend their leases. It was taking too long. And they asked the Law Commission to look into the subject. And in July 2020, the Law Commission published a paper following a consultation and following a previous report on options to reduce the price payable. So there was a consultation paper then a report on options to reduce price payable in January 2020, and then a final report in July 2020. And the government said it was going to enact some of the Law Commission's recommendations. Then there was a long period where nothing was happening. And then finally, in November 2023, the bill was published. And at around the same time, a couple of weeks before the bill was published, the government initiated a consultation into dealing with ground rents in existing leases Uh, Ground rents in new leases were banned by the Leasehold Reform Ground Rent Act 2022 with effect from 30th June 2022. So any lease granted in July 2022 or later, any long lease of a house or flat can't reserve a ground rent. But many millions of leases granted before then do reserve ground rents. And this consultation that the government initiated in November 2023, proposes five different alternative ways of dealing with ground rents in existing leases, the most draconian of which is simply converting them all into a peppercorn without any compensation to the landlord. And the government has made it clear that it intends to listen to what's said in the consultation, but that its strong preference is to adopt that option. And that, unless compelling evidence is provided to the contrary, that is what it is going to do. Now, that isn't in the bill at the moment, but the bill has been passed to a public bills committee for consideration on a line by line basis. And it is to be expected that the government will introduce, by way of amendment, either then or at some later point in the passage of the bill, some form of legislation addressing ground rents in existing leases, possibly the most draconian ones, which okay. is quite shocking because the impact assessment that was published in December 2023 said that the value of the ground rents that will be rendered valueless is £27.3 billion. I've been trying to think if there's any legislation in my lifetime which has confiscated the property of thousands of people who bought their property in good faith without compensation. I can't think of anything remotely Mm -hmm. comparable.
0: There are quite a number of things then still to be sort of fleshed out in terms of the consultation. In terms of the the bill and what's actually before Parliament at the moment, I know a lot of it picks up on law commission recommendations. You've mentioned one significant omission in terms of the banning of leasehold ground rents. Tell us a little bit about the key provisions in the bill and to what extent they'll be welcomed by existing leaseholders.
1: Well, there's quite a lot of changes. Some of them are fairly narrow technical changes. I'll just focus on the, the key points. The first one is that at the moment, if you want to claim the freehold or extend your lease, you have to own the lease for two years. That is going to be removed. So you'll be able to buy a short lease and apply to extend it immediately. There is A substantial change for collective enfranchisement, which is where a number of owners of leases of flats club together to buy the freehold of the building. At the moment, you can't do that if more than 25% of the internal floor space is non residential. So, if there's a mixed block with flats and shops, if the shops take up more than a quarter of the internal floor space, you can't make a collective enfranchisement claim. That's going to be changed to 50%, which is a big change, which will affect a lot of buildings. The right to extend the lease is going to be changed for flats, it's an additional 90 years. For houses, it's an additional 50 years. For both of them, that's going to be changed to an additional 990 years, which basically means you only need to do it once. At the moment, there is a split jurisdiction. So some issues have to be decided by the county court and some issues have to be decided by the first tier tribunal. And one thing the the bill is doing is to say that all disputes in the future will be determined by the tribunal. And I think everything I've said so far is pretty uncontroversial all pretty sensible. It's obviously beneficial to leaseholders, but apart from the extension of the right to a collective enfranchisement from 25 percent to 50 percent, which won't be welcomed by owners of mixed use blocks. Everything else I've mentioned is fairly straightforward. I think there will be a right on a collective enfranchisement for the tenants to require the freeholder to take a lease back of any flat or shop or office unit which isn't owned by a participating tenant. That doesn't exist at the moment, but that will be very beneficial to leaseholders because often one of the problems in raising the money to do a collective enfranchisement in a mixed-use building is finding the money to buy out the freehold in respect of the shops and offices, which the leaseholders generally don't want. At the moment, the freeholder can claim a lease back. The bill will give the tenants the right to require the freeholder to take a lease back. And that seems like a, a valuable addition to the statute. The really big changes that are likely to be controversial have to do with the valuation, how much is paid when you exercise the right to extend the lease or buy the freehold. And there is a a new procedure called the standard valuation method, which is to be used in most cases. There are one or two exceptions, for example, where the lease has less than five years to run or where the lease was not granted at a premium and certain other conditions are fulfilled. But in most cases, the standard valuation method will apply. And when the standard valuation method does apply, most of the components of the valuation will be prescribed by the government, whereas at the moment they're determined by the tribunal based on evidence. The one thing that won't be prescribed is the the value of the new long lease that the tenant Mm -hmm. is claiming or the value of the freehold if the freehold is being claimed. But the other components of the valuation are going to be prescribed. And one huge change is that for leases of 80 years or less, where at the moment one of the things the tenant has to pay is half of the marriage value, that is going to be removed. So Mm -hmm. that in future, whether the lease has more than 80 years or less than 80 years to run, the tenant won't have to pay any part of the marriage value that the tenant acquires as a result of buying the freehold or extending the lease. And that's all sorts of marriage value. One sort of marriage value is Simply arises because, generally speaking, the value of a 999 year lease of a flat is worth more than the value of the freehold and the 80 year lease put together. That's ordinary marriage value. But there's also development marriage value, which is where by acquiring all the units in a building, you can redevelop it. And at the moment, the tenant has to pay standard marriage value if the lease is 80 years or less to run, and all forms of marriage value or development marriage value in all cases, and that's going to be removed which will be very beneficial to leaseholders and very adverse to freeholders. Mm. And the power of the government to prescribe the capitalisation and deferment rates used in enfranchisement calculations, whether that is dramatic or not, will depend on what the rates are. And the government has so far given no indication on that at all.
0: So a number of things then still to be ironed out, but amongst all of that, some fairly straightforward and beneficial changes then. One thing I think the bill doesn't necessarily embrace is common holds, and that's obviously another area that the Law Commission has looked into quite extensively. I guess, was that a, a surprise? And to what extent is it a missed opportunity not to have more consideration of that within the proposal's Before the bill
1: was published, a few months before, Michael Gove spoke spoke to the press and said he wanted to abolish the leasehold system in its entirety, which Mm -hmm. would be done by making common hold compulsory. Uh, There was then a press report that the prime minister had said he wasn't going to be permitted to do that, presumably because it would require a huge amount of parliamentary time, I imagine, rather than that the prime minister had any particular vested opposition to common hold. Difficult to see why that would be the case. So the the bill doesn't say anything about common hold. At the second reading, the tone of the debate was this bill is fine, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. That's what Angela Rayner, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, said on behalf of the Labour Party. That's what a number of MPs on both sides of the House said. And there is quite a head of steam to pressurise the government to extend the bill, to ban the sale of newly sold flats, and make common hold compulsory in the future. The Labour Party has said that if it is elected at the next general election, it will do that. So I don't think we have heard the last of common hold by any means. I would be surprised if it does get introduced by Web Amendment because it would be such a huge extension of the bill and it would be such a dramatic change. But who knows? I mean, this is a revolutionary approach to this subject that the bill is already taking, and perhaps they will be even more revolutionary as it progresses through Parliament.
0: One aspect that we haven't touched on yet is service charges. There were some proposals in relation to that. Could you explain a little bit about those and, I guess, how they're likely to be received? Yes, well, the service
1: charge changes are much less revolutionary. They're incremental additions to the current protection given to tenants. I wouldn't describe Any of them is particularly dramatic. First of all, service charge demands will have to be in a prescribed form. I don't see that as causing anything more than headaches to managing agents and amateur landlords. There will be a requirement that service charge accounts have to be produced, uh, certified by a qualified accountant, which no doubt accountants will be delighted with that requirement. At the moment, most well-run buildings do have accounts produced and certified by accountants. It won't make that much difference in practice, but for badly run buildings, it will. There's an extended right for tenants to require information to be given, the detail of which will depend on regulations. There's a a novel power for the tribunal to award damages to tenants who are faced with landlords who don't comply with their service charge duties of up to £5,000. And that's no doubt will be taken advantage of by many tenants and will keep the first tier tribunal very busy. There is an important change in the case of insurance. Some research done for the government showed that the cost of residential insurance premiums had shot up, nearly doubled in the case of buildings where there was a risk of fire with flammable cladding, and very substantially in all cases. And they discovered that a big part of the cost of insuring was insurance commissions. And in some cases, managing agents were taking a slice of the insurance commission in return for using a particular broker. And this has been a problem that's been around for a long time. And the bill essentially bans, including an insurance commission in the service charge costs. Instead, there must be an explicit statement of the costs incurred in placing the insurance and in dealing with insurance claims. The idea being that, of course, the tenants have to pay for those things to be done, but they should pay for them on a basis that is transparent. Uh, rather mm-hmm. than on the, uh, some percentage of the insurance premium being charged without any regard to what work is being done, so that's a that that is an important change. There is also a requirement for landlords to publish a schedule of the charges they will make for things like dealing with applications for permission to make changes to a flat administration charges they're called, they have to be reasonable. But at the moment, landlords don't have to say anything about what they will be, but landlords will be required to publish a schedule of those. There's a big change to the way litigation costs are dealt with in service charge disputes. At the moment, quite a lot of leases, certainly those drafted more recently, say that the landlord can include in the service charge costs any costs that incurs in relation to service charge disputes. And the tribunal has a power to say that is not to happen under Section 20C of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1985. And routinely tenants say, please make this order. And quite often the tribunal does, but sometimes it doesn't. And the the bill turns that around and says that in future... Landlords won't be allowed to do that unless they actually get an order from the tribunal. So instead of tenants having to say it shouldn't happen, landlords will have to get an order saying it should happen. That's a minor change. But what's a big change is tenants again to be given the right to claim their litigation costs from landlords. If the tribunal or the court considers it just and equitable to make an order against the landlord in all the circumstances, taking into account matters which will be set out in regulations which have not yet been published. Quite how mm. that's going to fit with the existing powers of courts and tribunals in respect of costs, we don't know yet.
0: And I guess the the big question on the horizon is the pending general election. Given the timing on that, possibly the autumn, what are your thoughts in terms of this going through Parliament and becoming an act this year?
1: Yes, well, my crystal ball is unfortunately broken and is In the repair office at the moment. But um, (laughs) it is an ambitious piece of legislation to try and get through Parliament, through both Houses of Parliament, and get royal assent before the autumn. On the other hand, the Labour Party have said they are supporting it, although they would like to see it go further. It's not going to be politically controversial. There will be a lot of details to work through in committee. I watched the second reading debates and I certainly got the impression that the Secretary of State, Michael Gove, is uh, quite messianic about this bill, very determined to see it through. If I had to predict, I would say we will see some version of this bill, although possibly bearing little resemblance to the document we have at the moment on the statute book before the general election.
0: All right. Perhaps we'll catch up with you later on in the year, Stephen, see if that comes true. (laughs) Thank you very much for your time today. Um, It's been a pleasure to speak to you and and great to hear a little bit more about the detail of the bill. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, Sarah.
0: That was In On The Act from EG with Sarah Jackman. For more detail on residential reform, see the EG Radius Archive at egi.co.uk.